It's January 2020, Davos, Switzerland, the eve of the pandemic. Wuhan was going into lockdown, but the coronavirus hadn't yet taken hold across the rest of the world. Meanwhile, in Davos, the Alpine Ski Resort, the rich and powerful had gathered for the World Economic Forum. And in the crowd were three scientists, including the vaccine expert Seth Berkley. They're in a hotel lobby. They're having nachos and some drinks. That's our colleague, Gabrielle Steinhauser. And they're thinking back at previous pandemics, right? So they're thinking back at the 2009 swine flu pandemic, where rich countries bought all the vaccines and left no vaccines for poor countries. And, you know, in their mind, they're they're saying this time will be different. These experts knew that if developing countries couldn't get COVID vaccines, it would prolong the health crisis and raise the death toll. So, sitting there, eating their nachos, they came up with a plan. A plan to distribute vaccines fairly to people all over the world. They think of a model where as many countries as possible in the world, and not just the poor countries, but also the rich countries, would come together and they're going to buy their vaccines together. After Davos, these scientists got to work to bring their ambitious idea to life. They got over 100 countries to sign on and ordered millions of vaccine doses. For a while, it seemed like this massive undertaking might actually work. But that's not how things worked out. And now poor countries are stuck without vaccines and without a timeline for when they'll get them. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, June 2nd. Coming up on the show, how a grand plan to vaccinate the world against COVID came undone. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This idealistic plan to coordinate the global vaccine rollout came to life as an initiative called COVAX. So COVAX is a platform that invests in vaccine candidates, so in the actual companies at times, but also by, you know, making deals with these drug makers. Who pays for it? The idea is that it's funded, A, through government's buying vaccines through COVAX, right? And then also donations. So they thought, okay, let's pool our money. If we all get together, we can make these really big orders. We're going to have a sort of powerful hand in negotiations with these vaccine makers. That's going to get us good prices and good deals. COVAX set an initial goal of raising $2 billion, mostly from wealthy countries, 
to order vaccine doses in bulk. The plan was that once the vaccines were available, COVAX would distribute the doses. The world's 92 poorest countries would get their doses for free, subsidized by richer nations. Those richer countries would buy vaccines through COVAX for at least 10 percent of their citizens. So all countries, rich and poor, would be getting at least some of their doses from COVAX. And heading up the project was Dr. Seth Berkley, one of those vaccine experts from Davos. The World Health Organization got behind COVAX. So did the European Union, as well as big nonprofits like the Gates Foundation. Bill Gates and Melinda French Gates got personally involved with recruiting world leaders. Bill and Melinda Gates get on the phone. They call Boris Johnson, who's just come out of the ICU, you know, after being really sick with COVID. And Bill and Melinda pitch him on COVAX. And in June, at this summit that Boris Johnson eventually comes to host after his call with Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, you have sort of another round of of leaders sort of saying, yes, we're behind this. It becomes clearer that no one is safe until everyone is safe. Our pledge today is 300 million Australian dollars. Korea has been actively sharing our experience and knowledge. Portugal will financially contribute to the alliance. I am pleased to announce a pledge of 100,000 euros. A bold international agreement to this end cannot wait. In early June, you have this kumbaya moment where everybody comes together and says, yes, COVAX, yes, we're going we're gonna to make sure that, you know, the vaccines are going to be distributed fairly. That, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about solidarity and equity. At this summit, COVAX also made its first big announcement, a vaccine deal with AstraZeneca and its partner, the Serum Institute of India. COVAX would buy 300 million doses. With AstraZeneca, they have this deal where they know they're going to pay less than $3 a dose. That's a pretty good price. So I think they're off to a good start. So, COVAX had a deal for vaccines, and rich countries were on board. But one important country that didn't join the effort? The U.S. Instead of joining COVAX, the Trump administration started placing its own separate orders for hundreds of millions of doses. The U.S. is out there spending billions and billions and buying up vaccines. That starts the rat race. That triggered a domino effect. Wealthy countries saw the U.S. buying up vaccines, so they all started rushing out to buy doses for their own citizens. The U.K. is very active, so they're making deals. And then suddenly the Germans are teaming up with the French and the Italians and the Dutch and say, we're going to buy vaccines. And then the European Union raises its hand and says, like, how about we buy vaccines for all 450 million people in the European Union? So then the European Union, which really was the most sort of vocal and public backer of COVAX, goes out and makes its own deals with AstraZeneca, with Pfizer, with CureVac, with Sanofi, with all these guys. So that's all really, really bad for COVAX, which wants to buy 2 billion doses of vaccines for a billion people, but it doesn't have the same checkbook. COVAX couldn't cut checks because it didn't have the cash. In the rush to buy vaccine doses for themselves, many countries didn't actually hand over the money they'd promised to COVAX. So where does that leave COVAX in the race to secure vaccine doses? 
at the back of the queue. Yeah, at the back of the queue. And it's not like there were a lot of other manufacturers who were there sort of jumping up and down saying like, hi, you, you know, we want to make COVID vaccines for COVAX, which is going to pay less than everybody else. Uh, please choose us, right? That's, that's not what was happening. Still, Dr. Berkeley and his team at COVAX pressed ahead. In February, the WHO approved the AstraZeneca vaccine. So COVAX, which had ordered millions of doses, could start getting those out to the world. So on the 15th of February, uh, the World Health Organization gives emergency use authorization. And that's the starting gun for COVAX. At that point, the purchase orders that they have made with AstraZeneca kick in. Vaccines get loaded onto planes, and COVAX makes its first shipment to a developing country, and that's Ghana. After that, vaccine shipments arrived in countries around the world, like the Ivory Coast, the Philippines, and Fiji. At the top of the list to get vaccinated were doctors and nurses. You know, every day there's a new plane arriving in different countries. And that's, that's, that's a really big milestone, right? There's a legitimate expectation that sometime in late March, April, maybe early May at the latest, like at least healthcare workers in developing countries will be vaccinated. That makes a difference for, you know, countries that have very few doctors and nurses and, you know, functioning hospitals to begin with. And it's actually lightning speed to what often happens with other vaccines, right? I mean, it can sometimes take five to 10 years for vaccines that are authorized in rich countries to reach the developing world. For a brief moment, the world got a glimpse of Dr. Berkeley's vision of equitable access to the COVID vaccine. But it was short-lived. Because by March, just weeks after the first AstraZeneca shipments had gone out, India became the center of a devastating COVID outbreak. And that changed everything. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Starting at the end of February, COVAX began shipping out millions of vaccines and getting doses into people's arms. But COVAX was relying on AstraZeneca's vaccine, and most of those doses were coming from its partner, the Serum Institute of India, known as the SII which presented a problem for COVAX. So it always takes a little bit of time for vaccines to come out of India, these like uh, export 
uh, permits, they take a little bit of time to to be cleared, but suddenly they're taking a really long time to be cleared. And nobody really says why. COVID cases were rising exponentially in India. And Dr. Berkeley started to realize India was keeping those vaccine doses for itself. COVAX is no longer getting vaccines out of India. So Seth Berkeley and his colleagues start making calls, right? They're calling the SII, they're calling the health ministry in India, they're calling the prime minister's office. They're not getting any clear response. But at the same time, for a while at least, they're still hopeful that this is like a blip. But many developing countries that were counting on COVAX started running out of doses and were forced to start rationing what was left. So they, they have to start making really difficult decisions because they have a certain number of doses, right? And they kind of, they have to decide, do we use all these doses? And under the assumption that we're going to get a new shipment within the next three months and we can get everybody their second doses? Or are we going to hold back half of the doses that we've received, even if it means only vaccinating half the number of people? And were COVAX and Dr. Berkeley frustrated with India? Because India was going through this horrifying outbreak. They understood what India was doing, right? And it's also... You can't really tell a country that is in the middle of this catastrophe to 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 give their vaccines away, right? I mean, it's right. It's not even clear if that's like the best public health decision. I mean, no. In fact, India needed vaccines. The best public health decision was to tell countries that were starting to vaccinate their like twenty and thirty year olds and were you know getting ready to vaccinate their teenagers to like share some vaccines already and. I think the moral case on vaccine exports is that is at that point not about getting India to export, right? Even though those were the ones that you had paid and those were the ones that you had a binding contract with, at that point, it's really the rich countries that need to start sharing. But the rich countries didn't step in. So COVAX had to tell developing countries all over the world that no new doses were coming from India in the month of May. As a result, tens of millions of healthcare workers are still waiting to get vaccinated. What does the failure of COVAX say about how the world operates in a global health crisis? There isn't this kind of sense of globalism that... Dr. Berkeley was dreaming of. I think there there's a sense of globalism but maybe not maybe not globalism in action. So there's a lot of rhetoric but the deeds say something else. The deeds say that in the crisis situation everybody's just going to look after themselves. You don't win elections by helping other countries, you know, you win elections by saving your own country. And, you know, by telling people you can take off your mask and you can hug your grandparents and you can go back to school. Right. But Dr. Berkeley had the foresight to see what would happen 
tried to create a system to prevent it and failed. Yeah. They are trying to learn from the lessons of the past to apply them to this pandemic, and it still didn't work. So what is the lesson to be learned from what happened with COVAX? When you talk to a lot of people in the field who are very aware of the consequences of this, they're really, really reluctant to say, like, COVAX has failed because what if there hadn't been any COVAX to begin with, right? So I think the lesson that they would say is that we need to have a more robust system in place that can immediately kick in. And I think they want to use this as as the starting point for setting up something better. You can't do this by the seat of your pants, right? And you can't be having to go out there begging when in the crisis situation, everybody's just going to look after themselves. In recent weeks, some wealthy nations, including the U.S., have pledged funds and doses to COVAX. But COVAX hasn't yet said when it can restart shipments again. That's all for today, Tuesday, June 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Betsy McKay and Drew Hinshaw for their reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.